Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unboxed podcast. My name is Reese, and today we are going to go back to something that I think a lot of people thought or or maybe hoped that they had left behind some time ago, but alas, uh, it is still going on. Obviously, it's not alas for people who uh, like politics, such as myself. Uh, this is going to be episode five of the Brexit and Beyond section of the podcast because... In the last couple of days, there have been some interesting developments around the Brexit deal. Yeah, I know I'm going to be saying that a lot. So if Brexit isn't your thing, I very much apologise. But it is going to be incredibly important because the deal we get in this post-Brexit trade deal, it is no longer a withdrawal agreement. This is uh, the terms on which we will be trading with our closest friends uh, our closest friends and our, uh, well, one of our majority trading partners um, into the future. We get a large proportion, I think it was somewhere between 35 and 40% of our exports from the European Union, and uh, we give roughly the same amount of, um, sorry, we get roughly that amount of imports and we give roughly that amount of exports back. So there is a lot of trade that goes through into the European Union. If they come together as one single block, they are our largest trading partner. Therefore, what goes on here is incredibly important. And over the last couple of days, you may have seen some things from Michel Barnier being very frustrated about how um, progress is developing in the uh, EU trading agreements. Um, he is the European Union's chief negotiator. Um, and I think even a Boris Johnson and uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, when they were on the, the back benches railing against Theresa May's deal, they were calling him a very good negotiator. Maybe their government, uh, now they're in government, they are wishing he was a slightly worse negotiator. Now, uh, these Brexit talks were never going to be particularly easy, but I think a lot of people on both sides of the channel are starting to get a little bit frustrated that they are seeming to be quite this hard. Since leaving the European Union on the 31st of January, we have been negotiating whilst the clock has been ticking, because uh, under the withdrawal agreement, there is a transition period where uh, most of the regulations, or a certain amount of regulations are uh, kept by the United Kingdom, uh, so that you can start to ease the, the transition between uh, fully integrated European law and then uh, going in alone, essentially. And uh, you can ease out of certain trade deals. Um, and uh, the idea was to sort of uh, break away by the end of this year. In fact, the termination point is 11pm, uh, or midnight European time, on the 31st of December. So essentially we'll be starting 2021, officially uh, severing all ties to the European Union except the ones we make in these trade talks um, and that is why time is of the essence because with the coronavirus pandemic um, and other major uh, incidents around the globe starting to eat into the time we've had already we're going to have to compress a lot of uh, very complex negotiations into quite a short time. Um, remember how long it took Theresa May to come back with a deal in the first place. Um, and that was just a withdrawal agreement. That wasn't even an agreement for the future arrangements. This is far more complicated than extricating yourself from EU law. It's trying to find a way uh, to coexist 
uh, on on different terms. Now, these talks are taking place via video link, um, so that actually closes down some of the the routes we would usually see around um, treaty negotiations and how things would normally progress. Because whilst a lot of the discussions are done at these big formal meetings, um, there are also always these chances for people to bump into each other in the corridor, have an informal chat to try and get round some of the more formal roadblocks. Um, but of course, it would be rather silly to blame uh, all of these delays on the coronavirus pandemic and the lack of these informal backroom chats that so often push forward trade deals. And that is exactly what the EU's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, has said. That is not the only reason that very little progress has been made after four whole rounds of negotiations. According to Barnier, it's mainly a matter of substance. At the moment, there is really no agreement on even the basic structure of what people are even trying to negotiate. According to the European Union, they are pushing for a comprehensive deal which covers all aspects of a future relationship during this time period, and that's what they want by the end of December. They don't just want it to be about trade. The UK thinks that, or rather some people within the United Kingdom government, see that as uh, some sort of Euro-Federalist plot to keep the United Kingdom tied closer and closer to the European institutions and European methods and practices than some people in the UK would want. And instead is fighting for multiple agreements. So it wants, uh, or rather, uh, members of the government want a basic free trade deal as uh, a starting point, and then you can work on links with other institutions after a trade deal as its own separate agreement has been formed. Except the, U, uh, the EU see that as just another example of arrogance on the British part and uh, an example of how the UK is trying to cherry pick. Uh, we've heard loads and loads of sound bites coming out of European leaders all the way back from 2016 about cherry picking. You can't have your cake and eat it. Um, the EU sees this multiple deal uh, arrangement as an attempt to avoid the uh, the drawbacks of EU membership, the paying in of a fee, but to, uh, and other sort of uh, elements therein, uh, but to try and harvest the best uh, things that can benefit Britain. And of course, the European Union won't want to let Britain do that, not just for the reasons of you can't let Britain cherry pick, but if you give an example to countries such as France and Germany and Italy and Spain big players within the European Union, a lot of them net contributors, and they see that Britain can get all of the things it wants from the European Union whilst not having to be a net contributor, well then they might start to uh, want to leave the European Union themselves. And those countries, a lot of those countries already have fairly sizable Eurosceptic factions in France, uh, the Front National, or it's now called Rassemblement National, led by the Eurosceptic Marine Le Pen, she came second in the presidential elections in, uh, I believe it was 2017. Um, in Germany, the Alternative for Deutschland made great progress in the last round of local elections and made uh, a big dent in 
their representation in Parliament in the last German national elections. And in Italy, we have a plethora of, of Eurosceptic voices. And the coronavirus pandemic actually has uh, amplified some of those voices as well. So they can't just let Britain have all of what it wants. Now, there are also some more specific policy details that negotiators have sort of run into a brick wall on. Firstly, you will probably have heard a lot of a level playing field. That phrase was banded about a lot when we were were talking about negotiations under Theresa May. And this is just a, a term that tries to ensure... Uh, businesses in the EU don't have an unfair advantage over their competitors in the UK and vice versa. Now, this isn't uncommon. All trade agreements have some sort of level playing field agreement. But the EU wants the level playing field to be on the EU's terms. Of course it does. It's a 27-member nation uh, supranational organisation and it doesn't want to have to forego some of its rights uh, and regulations just to match up with a level playing field with the United Kingdom. Um, The UK is playing a little bit hard to get on some of the level playing field things and the EU wants the UK to stick particularly close to the regulations on uh, really important issues like workers' rights, environmental regulation and subsidies from the government to businesses because there are some very strict EU laws regarding those practices. Incidentally, some members of the United Kingdom opposition parties, some Labour, Lib Dem, Greens, uh, have been worried that the government might try and undercut some of those regulations to make Britain seem more attractive once we're outside of the European Union. Um, And they would see this as a way to ensure that doesn't happen if we can make sure uh, they sign up to a level playing field on uh, some of those EU regulations. Now, that's just one substantive area of policy difference. Um, Another one is the big one, really. Um, Fishing. Yeah, you can't really talk about Brexit and future arrangements without going into some detail about fishing. The UK uh, and the Leave campaign made a big deal about fishing rights, um, keeping uh, national waters... Uh, and then ways you can sell and trade fish throughout markets. And the UK wants full access to the EU market to sell its fish there and wants to exist as an independent coastal state, which means they get control over all of their, their waters in terms of national sovereignty. Now, the European Union would be fine would be fine letting the UK have full access to EU fish markets, but only if the EU and EU nation states have full access to UK fishing waters. Now, here's where the problem is. Despite fishing being a tiny part of the UK economy and a really tiny part of the EU economy, that propaganda campaign that massive part of the leave campaign that won the referendum in 2016 they can't be seen to bend on it so even though it might make sense to make some compromises on fishing and the eu certainly do britain can't compromise on letting the eu into the fishing waters because that would go against one of the 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 promises they stood on in the um 
or rather the UK can't go against it rather, um, because it was one of the promises to stood under the Leave campaign, but they can't really have a prosperous fishing industry without full access to EU markets to sell fish there. It's a catch-22, and it's a tough position for the negotiators. Now, there is a third area of disagreement, uh, which is called the governance of a future agreement. And it's an umbrella term. It's partly about how we overall structure this deal, but it's also about how any of the regulations and the, the commitments made in this agreement would actually be enforced. Because right now it's quite simple. There's a, uh, a national justice system and there's an EU uh, justice system where you can bring forward disputes and uh, if any rules are infringed upon or any other uh, promises broken, things like that within agreements, then they have a clear and defined legal pathway. Uh, a lot of people end up uh, or a lot of firms end up in terms of commercial law in front of the European Court of Justice. Um, the ECJ was another big part of the Brexit campaign in the United Kingdom. Um, leaving the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice was a big campaign promise so it would be a little bit odd for the government to essentially concede ground on that. Um, but then who actually gets to enforce the the laws you can't uh, have two completely independent arbiters because um, you would probably find that more naturally the uk courts will side with uk firms if a uk firm brings a case relating to an infringement on uh, one of these post-brexit agreements and eu courts would most likely side with eu firms if they bring um, a court case against an infringement on one of these uh, post um trade deal agreements and i haven't even talked about ireland yet yeah the uk made an agreement to the united uh, to uh, the european union around some checks on the northern irish border now the uk doesn't want a hard border the eu doesn't want a hard border the republic of ireland doesn't want a hard border and northern ireland doesn't want a hard border except the UK and Northern Ireland don't want to have to have a border in the Irish Sea. Now, this poses a phenomenally big headache for government negotiators because essentially uh, they don't add up. You can't protect the integrity of a single market whilst allowing an open border around the edge of it to someone who's not in the single market. Which means that there are going to have to be checks somewhere. The EU, because of course they won't, won't allow uh, checks between the Republic of Ireland and the European Union because they're all members of the same body. And the UK doesn't want to break up the Union by having checks between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. In fact, uh, Michael Gove announced in the House of Commons that trade from Northern Ireland to Great Britain would remain unfettered, except recent uh, updates to that story uh, have announced that there will be checks on some goods entering Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK and vice versa. So we really don't know. The EU is really concerned that the UK won't live up to some of the agreements it made uh, and of course the UK doesn't quite agree with them there. All of this is of course under the pressure of a ticking clock. There are lots of issues to resolve and it normally takes years to do a trade deal. 
we have got, um, well, at best six months and a bit. Um, basically, most people would say it's not possible. But anything's possible in Brexit, really. If no trade deal is agreed by the end of the year, then it looks like we are having no formal deal with our closest neighbours. Um, that could be damaging. We really don't know. Anyone who says for definite that something will happen after we leave the European Union, either with a deal or without a deal, uh, sorry, not leave the European Union, after we end this transition period, either with or without a deal, anyone who tells you for certain they know what's going to happen is lying straight to your face because no one's ever done it before. Um, but this could be a big leap in the dark. Um, something that could uh, provide a little more security uh, is something that was in the news a couple of days ago and a two-year extension has been mooted around this uh, this Brexit transition period. Uh, a coalition or a group of opposition parties, uh, the Liberal Democrats, the Scottish National Party, Plaid Cymru, um, the Green Party, uh, not the Labour Party, but several other parties as well, wrote to Michel Barnier, the chief negotiator, asking for a two-year delay. He wrote back and said, yeah, all right. So there is agreement that that could happen. Of course, the UK government has said, no way. Now, this deal is not just about trade. There are talks about police and security cooperation, um, shared databases in terms of uh, crime, and everything in between. It's a very wide-ranging agenda on both sides of the channel, and there is very little time left. Any extension to this transition period has to be agreed by the end of this month. So things have to move fast if they're going to move at all. A basic deal can be done if there is the political will to make concessions on both sides. The Prime Minister said he's going to get directly involved this month. He's going to be holding president talks with the presidents of the European Commission and the European Council on the negotiations. High-level political involvement can sometimes lead to progress. But if it doesn't, we have six months to prepare for an abrupt change to the way we trade in a time where we just cannot take another hit to the economy. The economic challenges from COVID-19 could be a force for compromise on both sides of this agreement. Or it's possible that people who uh, propose a more radical break from the European Union will uh, really try and just push on regardless. Whatever happens, it will be important and it will affect everyone living here in the United Kingdom. For better or for worse, we just don't know, as well as people in plenty of countries around the world. I've overrun slightly, but it was very important. Uh, that is all the time we have for today on the Politics Unboxed podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. Hope to see you all around again soon for the next episode, and goodbye. Mm-hmm.